are changing all the time. Neuroplasticity is a word that we all should know. That's why I'm bringing you Dr. Maria Cleary to the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine, and Maria, thank you for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Catherine. So let's tell everybody, how did you end up at an IEP table? Well, I have kind of a dual identity when it comes to IEPs. I am a superintendent and interim superintendent right now, and I was principal, so I sat at many meetings in that capacity. And I also am the parent of a 29-year-old young woman with special needs and uh, who was in public school uh, all the way through till eighth grade, then went to special education school after that. So we've sat at many meetings uh, with her. And uh, it's interesting to look at it from both perspectives, but um, in, in the end, we're all in it for the same reason. And we all learn kind of the same things. Yeah, and you've got some great perspectives to share, both from kind of that academic professional side and from that parent perspective. I want to remind everybody that during our conversation today, we're really going to be leaning into the foundation of IDEA law, which I talk about all the time. And that's not just to provide a free and appropriate public education, but it's to meet a child's unique needs and to prepare them for further education, employment, and independent living. That we can't just be looking at what's happening right now, that we need to look, what are we preparing for? What are we working towards? And how are we gonna reach these goals? So Maria, will you tell us a little bit about your research and some things that you found out? Because I was overwhelmed with some of the statistics that you were sharing um, as we were chatting about what we were going to share with everybody else. Yes, right. Well, I was overwhelmed too when I, when I learned about these, I recently did some research um, for a digital learning tool that I developed. And in doing this research, I looked particularly at the um, success rate of students coming out of school and what happened to them afterwards. And uh, I'll read you a couple of them. The um, right now, Let's see, students with learning disabilities experience course failure at a much higher rate than their non-disabled peers. 60, this is so sad, 69% of students with learning disabilities have failed one or more courses uh, as compared to 47% of the general population. One third of students have been uh, held back a grade, at least one, once. But then when we get out of school, this is when it gets really terrifying. Um, We have 46% of students with learning disabilities who are unemployed. I mean, unemployed once they get out of school. The, um, here are more, the I just want to have it memorized all of these. The, the salary rate for these students is much, much lower. 25% of what people with disabilities make. And their chances for life success are very, very low because they don't have the reading skills, um, math skills, basic skills that they need to go out and 
get the jobs they need for a good quality of life. And why is that? And, and you know, and this gets back to what you were just talking about. Do they have a fair and equal education in school? We try, we really do try. But what happens is a lot of resources we have for um, those with learning differences are for our younger students, up to fifth grade, I would say. Once they start getting into middle school, we as educators start floundering. There aren't a lot of resources around for them. High school, we can forget about it. The, uh, in high school, the focus starts being almost totally on career preparation. And that's fine, except the careers that we prepare our students for in high school, are self-determined by a school district. So my daughter went to things like uh, food service places where she cleaned tables, ShopRite where she did bagging, um, a horse stable where, you know, which she loved, but I don't think she's going to be a horse groomer in her, in her life. Um, and so we have to, take a good look at whether or not we're actually preparing our students for what could be a career within their abilities. And how do we find out those abilities except offering them more in school? I think we're failing dismally in not ex exploring the, um, the technology end of things, because my observation, and this is only anecdotal, is that the special needs students I have encountered are just as in love with technology as every other student, but they um, don't have the opportunity to develop those skills. Maria, I, I just want to say that we've been saying this since the day that the crisis hit our country and things shut down and everybody went digital, mm -hmm. it became so apparent. And we knew this as educators, we knew this as special education parents, we knew that we were behind the times that our access to technology was archaic. But then when it's showing like right up in your face under a magnifying Absolutely. glass, everybody else had Chromebooks, we didn't. Everybody else had Google logins, Yep. We didn't. Everybody else had things that they could figure out how to set up in 48 or 72 hours in transition. Yep. And it took months to even get a piece of technology into a child's hand to see if they could use it. Uh-huh. Well, again, in the lower grades, students here in New Jersey um, in special ed classes all have iPads. They do. But once you get to the higher grades, middle school and high school, they have access to certain amounts of technology, but nobody is teaching them things that they could use. For instance, we had the opportunity to have my daughter learn how to print out labels for a project we were doing. Now it took me forever to learn how to print out labels. That was tricky, but um, she learned it in 15 minutes. And we were able to just give her that job, which helped us out a lot. Well, how would you ever know that unless you made a list of maybe certain office skills that you wanted your students to learn and then 
you see if they can do them. I'm not saying there aren't teachers doing that. I'm sure there are teachers doing that. But that's the exception, not the norm. And it's not a teacher issue. And we always say that here. Like, this is not about an individual person or an individual no. teacher. What's interesting is, and I want everybody to lean into what you said there, you are an educator. You are in as a, a superintendent, an interim superintendent, but still you're there. And, and so you're seeing the system from the inside. And you're specifically telling us the resources are not set up for success on the inside. They're not. And when you read about, and this is another thing I learned in my research, when you read about the skills that employers are looking for, even among the general population, basic reading, basic math, people just don't have what they need to hold a job. In fact, here's a very sad thing, 45% of regular, neurologically average adults who are 17 years old, so young adults, only read, 45% of them only read one book, one book for pleasure a year. Almost half of 17 year olds only read one book for pleasure a year. I just was horrified by that. How in the world are they developing their reading skills? How are they even learning how to like reading? They're not. They're not. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna totally jump in there as a parent. Uh, you know, my my kids don't listen to the podcast. So, um, but they might. They might catch this. They might catch it on Instagram because that's what they're doing instead of reading a book. I love to read. Like my mom used to. I'm not kidding you. That I I have vivid memories of this. Um, I, I used to read so much and just wanted to be in my room reading with no distractions that one day in the summer, she told me to go outside and probably take the trash out or, or move my bike or whatever it was, you know, and, and she locked the door on me and I couldn't get back in the house. And she was like, <laughs> no, like you cannot just sit around and read all the time. Like you have to get active. Like I love reading. I have loved reading through being an adult. My children do not love reading. And no. I was not supported in the school system. Like there was no, um, and I'm not saying that the school should do something that I didn't do. Like I was trying and trying and trying, but what's, what's interesting is it's not, it wasn't encouraged or rewarded or seen as joyful. It was only no. used as work to get to like study for this test or read this book to take a comprehension question or do those things. There wasn't any, um, there was no joy. There was no joy. No joy. And, you know, I mean, we know that nobody's going to read on their own if they're not engaged in what they're reading. And we think it's bad for regularly developing students. Forget it for special ed kids, because once they get to middle school, there's literally nothing for them to read. And here's why. They need illustrations. And there are no books for middle schoolers with illustrations, except a certain segment. There are books called high-low books, which are high reading level, low, uh, high interest, low reading level books. And they have some illustrations. Most of them are nonfiction, you know, so that's, that's another thing altogether. But for the most part, they have no pictures. So what is, what are our students going to do? Plus, they do not have age up. I mean, accessible reading levels. So my daughter in middle school was reading a book called Hatchet, which is a book that almost every middle schooler reads. Okay, it's one of those things they've had on the reading list for about, you know, 
30 years, more maybe. And I remember going to an IEP meeting and her teacher telling me, oh, Miss Cleary, Desi is reading Hatchet. <laughs> Looked at her and I said, Desi is reading Hatchet? <laughs> well, you know what? She was following along with Hatchet while other people were right. reading. Right. And she was maybe sounding out some words. But Desi, Desi didn't have a clue what Hatchet was about. And this teacher was very well-meaning. And she said, well, maybe you're not expecting enough of her. No, I know what she can do. My daughter is very cognitively very impaired. And she's never going to read Hatchet unless somebody does a version of it, which is adapted and which has pictures. Mm -hmm. So this goes on and on. And from middle school until literally young adult or adult, there's nothing for them to read. So how in the world are they going to have fun? How in the world are they going to be engaged in the process? How are they going to increase their skills and their neural connections in their brains, which is I know you wanted to talk about and it, this is I do I do I want you to jump into a little bit of that brain science like what really yeah. is happening to our brains and for everybody who's like thank you for telling me all of the negative things we promise we've got we've got ideas for what you can do in the school system we've got ideas for what you can do at home those are all coming but I want to I want to jump into a little bit of the science about it well I just learned this Catherine and it scared scared me half to death because there's a, a, a researcher named Norman Deutsch, and um, he has written a brain, uh, a, brain a book <laughs> called um, How the Brain Heals Itself. And well, actually he's written two, uh, two books, but they were both on the same subject. And what he has written about is a, a, a concept called neuroplasticity, which means that your brain is constantly growing throughout your life. But as with anything that grows, you have to nourish it. And so the more you do with your brain, the better it grows, you know, and we all know we see all the commercials for people who are you know, old folks <laughs> who are doing all these brain games mm -hmm. to keep their brains alert. Well, the same thing happens with young people, except for this. If adolescents, adolescents, not teenagers, not young adults, stop reading, the neurons on their, in their brains start pruning off and they're lost. So it's really a use it or lose it kind of thing. And there's no getting them back. You can maybe build other kinds of connections, but if you're not building all the connections you need when you're reading, by adolescence, you'll start to lose them. Well, man, that terrified me because I thought to myself, my daughter who has left brain hemiatrophy, which is a form of cerebral palsy, has enough challenges when it comes to brain connections. She doesn't need to start losing what it is she has, which is the reason that I became so, well, I've always been interested, like you, I'm a, I'm a lover of reading. Um, but that's when I really started to put some energy into trying to not only get her to read, but create some resources that would help her to read. 
So let's talk first about some things that maybe you just, even from a parent perspective, negotiated for or brought to the table that her teachers could do differently, uh, you know, from like that fifth grade up, from that middle school up. So like you start to learn all of these things and you're like, okay, so now we can't just go along with what the standard process might be because- you now know information. We always say, you know better, you do better, right? So like now you know more. So when you hit those um, roadblocks or I should say standard process even where the teacher's like, you know, whether we're reading Hatchet or it's high school and it's like, we're only going to read um, recipes and we're not gonna read books anymore. And those kind of, what kind of things did you bring to the team to say, you know what, we need to work on things differently? Well, I wish I had known then what I know now. Sure. Um, But, Uh, What I would say now, if I were sitting at that meeting is, let's rethink Hatchet (laughs) and let's let's maybe read a little of the story, have her classmates summarize it in small chunks. And then I, as a teacher, might bring in some pictures that could illustrate what is happening in the story. I think that's the first thing. We have to understand that our disabled children cannot picture words in their heads. You know, when we read and we take this for granted, we're talking about a mother and a father and a child and, uh, you know, living in a a house. And right away we see that Mm -hmm. in our minds. Disabled young people cannot do that because abstract thinking is part of their disability. So putting the pictures in front of them, I think is a huge help. Constant checks for understanding also, because again, critical thinking is very difficult for the disabled student. So you read a little portion of a book and then go back and not after a whole entire chapter, after two or three paragraphs and say, what did you think of what happened there? How would you feel if that happened to you? And keep the conversation going for a little bit. And then as you go ahead, constant reminders of what it is you read. Now, I'm going to recommend that you don't take a book as long as Hatchet to read because that'll take you a year and a half if you're going to go along doing that. But um, I would say shorter books Mm -hmm. help a lot because then they don't have to retain um, as much as they have. I ask you, in your research, did you see any difference between, for example, something like we're talking about hatchet and that would take like a year and a half to get through if we really broke it down and summarized and did small chunks and put together all these pictures and did those things versus maybe we had an age appropriate book, but it was um, it was simplified already. It was shorter. We were going faster. So maybe it's at a first grade reading level, but it's a it's it's interesting to a fifth grader um, situation. So when we're talking about Um, advancement of our brain, advancements of our thought process, our critical thinking, achieving skills. I think one of the the questions that parents have a lot of, a lot of times is, are we, I'm just going to use what we use kind of layman's terms. I always say, we don't use a whole lot of filters here. Are we dumbing it down too much that my child's never going to reach their potential because we we're, we're not expecting a lot because we have brought it 
um, down to a level instead of making the child read up to the level. Well, that's what that teacher said to me, Mrs. Cleary, are you maybe not expecting enough of your child? No, I expect a lot of my child, but who knows our children better than we do? And we know, okay, they've made progress. I can't see my hands to here. Now maybe we can go to here or let's try to here anyway, without having them experience too much discouragement or failure. Now, there are books, the high-low books I, I, um, I uh, mentioned before, and I also am just going to plug a, a publishing company that I know called Saddleback Publishing, and they publish these high-low books, which parents can get on their own. I mean, side note, we took my daughter pre-COVID to see um, a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. I mean, that's Shakespeare, okay? I got the high-low uh, book that illustrated the story of A Midsummer Night's Dream. We read it ahead of time. We went to see the play. We kept the book next to us because it had pictures and we kept referring to it the whole entire time. And she thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a funny show, but you, you know, you have to prepare for that. So uh, high-low books can help, but you can see just from that example, what an investment that is for everything that you're going to read. Will the investment pay off? I think so. I think it paid off. She got to experience something she never would have experienced before if we didn't have that book. Maybe for some students, that book would have been too difficult. Maybe it would have been too easy. But you can't do anything or know anything unless you try. And, and I think that um, it's beholden upon, I want to say us as parents, we, we should be obviously... In, in collaboration with our teachers. Our teachers are overwhelmed. If you have six children in a classroom, every single one of them has a different disability. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you have an aid, sometimes you don't have an aid. Sometimes their children have um, behaviors which are very challenging. And so, you know, you don't even get a chance to do anything before somebody is disrupting the class. Some people have learning problems and not math problems or vice versa. So. To turn around and say, okay, the teacher needs to be doing this. I think the teacher needs all the help we can give them. And that means exploring the resources that, that are out there. You know, another thing parents can do, which is an enormous help, is, and I used to do this with my kids. When my, I have three sons who are my biological sons. My daughter's an adoptive daughter. But... Um, you know, average uh, neurotypical learners, okay? And um, I used to do puppet shows with them when I was a kid, when they were kids. And we would write a story and then we would record it. And they would read their story into the, what was then a tape recorder. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then, we would um, put on the puppet show. Now, there's no reason you can't do that with a book. Record the book for your child and then read it together with the audio playing so that they can have a kind of text-to-speech experience. You can point to the words. You can play it again if they need to play it again. 
they can do it on their own without you sitting there next to them. And you've kind of created your own tool using books that your children like. So if you're, you have a son who loves construction and there's a book about you know, construction vehicles that is just too difficult for him, record it and then put them down. He could look at the pictures, read the, read the, uh, the text and enjoy it and maybe even enjoy it over and over again. Yeah, and I love that because what, what you're showing is that this multi-sensory approach and this like multiple ways of getting the information to connect with a child is so important. And that's where, you know, I always get worried when somebody's, um, you know, looking at, are we just settling? Are we lowering, lowering standards because we're modifying something? And I'm like, no, that's actually enhancing it. Like, yeah. so that's where, you know, I hear that all the time, both from the teachers and from the parents, like, well, we can't do that because then it won't be up to standards or we can't do that because the school won't allow, we need to teach to the standard. It has to be this, or a parent who doesn't want their child to fall further behind by modifying yes. something. And that's where, you know, a lot of times I hear that from parents. They're like, I don't want the teacher, you know, it was dumbing it down. We don't want the teacher dumbing it down because then my child's never going to catch up. And yes. I say, it's not about catching up. It's about enhancing this experience so they can connect at a different level. To, in my opinion, that's just going to move them forward faster and more in depth. Like it, they're, it's not just about going through the motions. It's about really connecting with something. So with that, share a little bit about what you've done with your research or, or and this, this tool and this experience that you've developed. Well, as I said, I, I sort of became an accidental entrepreneur once I learned all these things and looked and looked and looked for resources for Desi um, that would that I could just put her in front of, you know, and, and read, uh, have her read. And there was nothing. I mean, and I when I when I tell you that I really looked and I was looking for digital, especially because of the the whole technology thing, because I knew she liked that. The only thing she'll really sit and turn pages with are, you know, picture books. Uh, so, so I wanted it to be digital. And I, the only thing I found were, were school products. And so you had to be enrolled in a school and obviously she's out of school. And you had to also have your teacher in school be part of the whole program that it was. And then there were some digital products. A lot of them were not fiction. Um, and uh, a lot of them, most of them had assessment tools built in so that the teacher could see how well your child was doing. Well, that took obviously a whole bigger investment than I wanted. All I wanted was her to have a library of stuff where she could just go in, click on a book and read and read something that was at her age level. So that's when I developed Read Easy and I decided we have to have something out here, you know, and let me at least try this. So what Read Easy is right now is it's a website with one book on it. It's a proof of concept book. And the book itself is age appropriate for adolescents through young adults. I find that the, the gap is not very big in that in that age group in terms of what they're interested in reading. Um, it's age appropriate and an age respectful storyline. So it's not juvenile. It's not a baby book, which you know 
is all they really I know, need. I'm like, that could be a whole other conversation, right? right. Like, I've, I've pushed for that all the time when I was in the classroom as a teacher. Mm -hmm. A lot of times there were, especially there were other adults in the school that wanted to, um, I'm going to say baby, my students. And I'm oh. like, no, they're a second oh. grader. And this is what, this is what we expect. And, and, and that things that are appropriate. Yes. I mean, why would you read a, te a teenager a book about a bunny rabbit? They're interested in dating and shopping and sports. And, you know, they're worried about bullying and making friends and all the same thing everybody else is worried about who's their age. So why in the world would we do anything different? So it's, it's age respectful. It's also illustrated. Every page has an illustration. It also has a little bit of animation just to keep it interesting looking. Not a lot to be distracted but a little bit. It has, at the end of every chapter, gaming questions for understand, for uh, checks for understanding. So after one chapter, it'll ask a question, why do you think Jake would have done this? And you take your answer and you drag it into a cloud and then the cloud lights up and you get points and things like that. Or there's a word search maybe that where you're exploring what emotions the main character might be feeling. Or there's a, a character match where you have to match a character to something he or she might say. All of these are designed to do what we were talking about before. That, that kind of critical thinking at the end of a certain amount of reading so we can remind them what they read about that they won't forget. There also um, is a, you know, at the end, you can accumulate points and you have a, um, you get on a hero's list. Part of we, what we hope to include later on is some artificial intelligence. So we want there to be a, an avatar who can be your reading companion, who with your points you can accessorize or accessorize his or her environment. I also am most excited about this part I would like the avatars to be able to participate in some kind of, of social book club so that these readers could actually be able to interact. And if you have anybody in your family or in your class you who has special needs, you know that the social aspect is just dire as they get older, just dire. There, there's hardly any opportunity for them to make any friends. If they're in a day program, you know, they're stuck with a group of people who maybe or maybe not they have anything in common with. You don't have the same opportunities to go out and initiate friendships with, with people who have similar interests to you. I remember so vividly when my daughter was in the eighth grade, my husband happened to be the vice principal of her middle school. And he told me she went to a dance and she literally spent the whole dance walking around the perimeter of the gym, looking for somebody to hang around with. And it's not like the kids were mean to her. It's just that, you know, they gravitate to their friends and she didn't have the wherewithal to just jump into a group. So what I'm hoping is that this little book club that we want to form will give them in common things to talk about, starting with the book. I mean, I remember we tested this, well, we tested it a number of times. I was in a, a classroom of like 21 year olds. They were, they were older. And one of the readers said to me, 
I know just how that boy felt. People used to bully me that same way. And I thought to myself, what a great conversation starter. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, and that's what it is. It doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be uh, an experience like school, meaning that we talked about having the joy and having connection. There's book clubs in my, you know, in my town that I could join um, and do that and, and, and have something in common. Why not have an online book experience for readers who are not at age level or grade level, it would be considered for that. So what? We can still have a common conversation. I want to encourage everyone. There's going to be links where you can find more about, you know, uh, Maria's work and read easy. So make sure that you explore with those. Of course, make sure that you, um, follow special education inner circle on wherever you're watching this YouTube, Instagram, and that, um, Maria, do you have any final words of hope and encouragement yes yes let's, I mean, let's, share, we, let's share those let's and, and we love it you'll you'll see this on a lot of our episodes i'm like all right as we talk about the facts sometimes it can feel like a tough road ahead of us but i feel like there's opportunities for success everywhere so share with us some hope from your research from the things that you're developing um, with that for teachers and parents for this upcoming school year we, we family members of special ed young people are our greatest gift. I have learned everything useful that I have learned about special ed parenting from other parents. And I consider them just a joy and a gift in my life. I know I have met parents who are just have it so much harder than many of us have it and have enormous challenges every day. But I, I want everyone to know that we can depend on one another for ideas, for generosity of spirit. I have never been turned down by a special needs parent when I needed some help. And I wanna include myself in that. I am easily reachable through the Read Easy website. There's um, an email for me on it. I am happy to share whatever resources and research I have. Our research is on the website and the testing that we did for this because the testing was came back enormously positive in terms of comprehension, retention, and engagement. And I would be happy, so happy to share all of this. What I would ask people to do, and I, I'd be so grateful for this as a special needs parent, is to give us feedback because we want to keep getting grants and making this better. We want to create, the dream is to create a whole library. And I want to create a free library uh, eventually so that our kids can go to this virtual library, pick a book and say, this looks good and sit down and read the same as all the rest of us do when we go to the library. Wouldn't that be great? That would be awesome. And I'm going to, I'm going to give a word of encouragement that I really haven't said to our listeners very often. Um, what I love about your story, Maria, is yes, you have a background in education and yes, you have, uh, you know, experience as a special needs parent, but you saw a need and you, you're starting to fill that gap and you created something out of nothing. And our best solutions that have happened in our disability community have come from people like you, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, a few episodes ago, we talked to, um, 
Kelly Weaver. She saw a need for a therapeutic day school in the area because there was none and her daughter needed intensive support. So she created a school. You're seeing a need for a virtual library and a virtual community where we can have conversations and things in common that go beyond a typical video game, that this truly is enhancing a, a child's knowledge and their connections. So to all of our parents and teachers, admins, therapists who are listening, that idea that's keeping you up at night, that idea that you're like, why didn't somebody do this? Take the leap go for it. You don't know where you might end up by putting that into action. And we need your ideas. It's like in field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, everybody thinks, am I crazy for thinking about this? No, someone no. had to come up with like, no, we have to do this. We absolutely have to do this. So again, I'm going to encourage everybody connect with Maria. If you need uh, further help with your IEPs, you're thinking about becoming a master IEP coach. You want to be a special education insider, all your special education stuff, connect with me. Let's go ahead, reach out. And like Maria said, let's depend on each other. Uh, Maria, thank you for being here today. Oh, it was my great pleasure, Catherine. Thank you so much. Thank you.